Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians. The New Testament book of Philippians and Philippians in chapter number 3. The book of Philippians and chapter number 3. We are continuing with our series dealing with the book of Philippians with the idea that rejoicing in Christ that over and over you could see this idea of rejoicing and joy. And we understand the reason why we could rejoice is actually found in the message today that I may know Him. And so if you don't mind, would you take your copy of the Word of God and look with me for yourself and notice with me in the book of Philippians in chapter number 3. The book of Philippians in chapter number 3, notice with me in verse number 1. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 1, the Word of God says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but to you... It is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he whereof might trust in the flesh, I the more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I count loss for Christ? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. But I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law. But that which is through the law of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already obtained, either were already perfect, but I follow after it, that, or if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before me, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded. God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless whereto we have already obtained. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren. Be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like 
unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Philippians chapter 3? The book of Philippians chapter 3, and notice with me the phrase, that I may know him. That I may know him. And as I already explained earlier, that everything this year has been building up, crescendoing, focus, peaking on this message here, that I may know him. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, now as we approach this wonderful passage of Scripture, this Scripture that has so many nuggets of truth, so many things just to park and dig, Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to be able to give a good summary, a good overview, a good understanding of this wonderful passage for the purpose that we would walk out of this place with that goal and a thing that I cannot do myself no matter how much I can. I cannot convince these people. I cannot persuade these people with any words that I have that they should follow after Christ. It is your Holy Spirit that must do those things. So the best I know how, I recognize with the Apostle Paul, I have no confidence in the flesh. But the best I know how, I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your precious Spirit for the purpose that these people would hear your word and respond the way that they ought to, that you would draw them close and that they would change the goal of their life to the goal that you would have for us to have that I may know him. Lord, again, such a powerful message, and I'm such a powerless preacher. It must be you and your spirit to get anything done today. And I cast my dependence upon you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, if you were to line up the greatest believer of the Old Testament and the greatest believer of the New Testament, the two people you would have to come to the conclusion of would be Moses of the Old Testament and Paul of the New Testament. And yet as great and as wonderful and as used as these two individuals were, both of them were leaders. Both of them were used of God to reveal so much scripture and so much truth. And yet at the height, the zenith, the peak of both of the ministries they have, both of them had the same exact prayer, the same exact desire that I may know him. We could see Moses giving that statement in Exodus 33. We're not turning there, but just for your own reference, that's where Moses was talking to God and he had the same prayer that I may know you. And now Paul, as he's in prison, been used of God in so many ways. He's at the peak here. And he has the same prayer. That I may know him. Now again, if we say that Moses is the greatest believer of the Old Testament. And the Apostle Paul is the greatest believer of the New Testament. And both of them at the height had the prayer, the knowledge. I don't know God enough. I want to know him more. How much more should that be our prayer? How much more should that be our desire? That I may know him. Well, if you don't mind, let's take the book of Philippians chapter 3. And let's break it down and understand a little bit more. And see this desire that the Apostle Paul had. This prayer that we could know him more. The first thing I'd like to show you in Philippians chapter 3 is that First of all, I worship God by the Spirit. I worship God by the Spirit. Notice with me in chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, notice this. This is the keynote of his epistle. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. But notice this. No matter what happens, we can rejoice in the Lord. Where do we get our strength from? Well, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It is rejoicing in the Lord. Not in our circumstances. Whether things are good or whether things are bad, God is still the same. Our rejoicing is not whether we have sunshine and puppy dogs and rainbows. 
It could be dark and cloudy. It could be storm. It could be things falling apart. And we could still rejoice. Because our rejoicing is in the Lord. In the Lord. No matter what happens. Now if we dwell upon our sorrows. We will soon be depressed. Spend too much time being in depression. And it will sour our life. And make us useless. But God gives us victory. But that victory does not usually come until we learn to rejoice in the Lord. So many times we have Christians that are on a spiritual roller coaster. Happy, sad, happy, sad, wonderful, horrible, wonderful, horrible. That is not the life that God intended us to live. It should always be steady in the Lord. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. And when you learn to rejoice in the Lord, regardless of the circumstances, that's when you see victories in so many other areas. Rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. Notice as he goes on in verse 1. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me indeed is not grievous, but to you it is safe. That actually comes from a Greek poem, but Paul didn't see it bad to quote it. In fact, it's, it's a great thing. He says, I keep telling you rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you. What same things? To rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. To me indeed is not grievous. But it is safe. What are you saying? He said it's not a big deal for me to tell you over and over. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not bad for me to tell you over and over. It should be a thing where you say. Oh man he's just saying the same thing over and over. All we've heard this year is. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord. He's saying it's not grievous for me to tell you it over. In fact it is safe. I could tell it over and over and it should never get tiring because we need that reminder to rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord. No matter what the circumstances, rejoice in the Lord. Now notice as he goes on, this idea is carried out now <laughs> that we're to rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Because in verse number 2, he begins to warn against the deceivers. Verse number 2 is all the deceivers, but we could rejoice even though there's deceivers. Verse number 2, beware of dogs. What is that phrase dealing with the idea? Well, God's people are sheep and not dogs. There's a difference between sheep, God's sheep, and dogs and wolves. Beware of those. Again, every time it's using that type of idea of wolves and whatever, there's deceivers. Paul warned the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 that it said, After my departing, there should be grievous wolves who will come in from among you, not sparing the flock. He said, There's, You need to be careful of the deceivers because they're going to try to take your joy by lying to you, giving you false doctrine, trying to deceive you and turn you away from God. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. We know that these are false teachers that are up to no good. They're constantly working. Beware of them. You understand there are so many people that are trying to get your eyes off God and on something else. Amen. Satan loves to do that. If you could find a flaw in a person. And by the way, there's plenty of flaws to go. If you look at me hard enough, you'll find all my flaws. And if you can't find them, I'll tell you all my flaws. But you can get the place, well, pastor's so horrible at this and he's wrong at this. Then your eyes aren't on the Lord and you no longer rejoice. The Bible says beware of them because they're going to keep you from looking at God. They're going to keep you from resting in God. These deceivers, they're up to no good. They want you to get you distracted and focused on other things other than God himself. Notice if you don't mind, it goes on and says, beware of the concision. So we see the character of the deceivers, the conduct of the deceivers, the claims of the deceivers. Beware of the concision. The word concision is only mentioned here. It carries the idea of cutting, kind of like when the... Uh, Prophets of Baal were on Mount Carmel with, uh, with Elijah. And remember that they actually stood upon the rock. It still baffles me. They're asking their face false god to rain down fire. So they stand upon the rock where the fire is supposed to come. And they begin to cut themselves. And they, they cut themselves all day and no fire came. And they were false teachers. Well, here it's using this idea of concision, which carries the idea of cutting. But then he brings it to the idea 
of, in verse number three, we are the circumcision. He says there's some people that are trying to get the Gentile converts to start following after the rules of the law like the, um, like circumcision. And they're trying to wrap that up with their salvation. In order to be saved, you have to follow this and do this and do this. And what it is, it's getting people distracted from looking at God. That's what some of the false workers are doing. Now, we know that circumcision was meant to be a symbolic acknowledgement of the inability to produce spiritual speed or fruit from God. It was something they had to trust God for. Paul gives this reminder in verse number three, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. We're not trusting in circumcision or works. We're trusting God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ to notice this and have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. Now, what we're talking about now is that I may know him. And if we're going to know him the way that we should, we must worship God in the spirit, not in the flesh. It's not about my works, what I can do, my ability or my lack of ability. It's all about God. And that so often we put flesh in the way. We put confidence in who we are. And Paul's going to go through this in just a second. But we understand if we're going to worship God in spirit and truth, we recognize that it is not about us. It's all about him. Not about my ability, what I can do, what I could bring to the table. It's all about him. Which brings us to a second thing. We could see that God is my goal. God is my goal. If we come and understand this idea that I may know him, we could summarize it with that statement that God is my goal. He is my goal. Notice with me in verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that whereof he might trust in the flesh, I the more. Now Paul says, listen, you can't have confidence in the flesh, but let's say that there's someone out there that thinks they have enough flesh that they're strong enough physically, they have enough confidence in their own ability that they could serve God in a way that's pleasing to God in their own. He says, listen, if there was a way, I would be at the head of the pack. Let me tell you some things about Paul, that if someone could trust in their own ability, their own intellect, their own ability, their own heritage, it would be me. Now, he's trying to do a comparison. He's saying, listen, if I can't trust in my flesh, none of you can. Notice what he says. Verse 5. He's talking about himself. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He says, I was born a Jew. I was born a Hebrew person. And I followed the law even from eight days years old. Eight, uh, at eight days, I was already circumcised. I was already following the law. From the time of my birth, I was raised to follow the law. I have, <laughs> verse number um, Five, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Hey, listen, if you want to talk about bragging rights and who's, who's the greatest humanistically, man, I am not just a Jew. I'm a Jew of a Jew. I'm not just a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I, and, um, touching the law, I'm a Pharisee. I'm the most religious of the Hebrew people. If anybody had something to brag about, it's me. He's not done yet. Concerning zeal. Hey, you want to talk about zeal? I was so zealous, I dragged people from their houses and killed them in the name of God. How many of you have done that? Listen, I was zealous for God. I did so much in my own flesh. I had the pedigree. I studied from the greatest Hebrew scholar there was on the law, Gamaliel. I studied at his feet. I learned. 12 years old of age, I moved from Tarsus. And I moved and studied at the temple in Jerusalem. Under the greatest teachers. And I learned. I had the ability. If anybody could brag about my ability to serve God in my flesh, it would be me. But he says, I have no, no confidence in the flesh. He said, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He says, you want to take the Old Testament law and try to find some fault in the way that I live my life? I'd be blameless. 
I strive to live my life according to God's law. I did everything I could. If you want to talk about bragging rights, I have the bragging rights. And none of it, none of it got me any closer to God. None of it made me any more pleasing to God. None of it did any of it. In fact, what often happens is that our biggest strengths becomes our greatest weaknesses. They get in the way. For someone who thinks that they're intelligent, what happens is they lean on their strength and they don't depend upon God. Someone who has the finances, they depend upon their own finances and don't depend upon God. Someone who has the physical health, depend upon their physical health. And don't depend on God. Someone who is hyper-organized will depend on their ability rather than trusting in God. That's what we cling to. Our biggest weak, our strengths are often our biggest weaknesses, our biggest hindrances. Because we use those things to do it ourselves rather than depend upon God. And so what Paul says, you take all of that stuff that I've just bragged about... Let me tell you what I see about that verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those same things I counted loss for Christ. He said, those things were in the way. He says, what was in the way of me knowing God? Me. What was in the way of me knowing God? My pedigree. What was in the way of me knowing God? My heritage. What was in the way of me knowing God? My education. What was in the way of me knowing God? My zeal. All that stuff. If you want to brag on it. Let me tell you what happens. That stuff's in the way. And it keeps you from knowing who God is. That's pretty powerful stuff. Here's Paul, the amazing Paul, saying, you know what? Don't look at my abilities, all that other stuff. Those were in the way. How often do we say, oh, if so-and-so would just get saved, what a great privilege it is for the cause of Christ. No, no, it's probably going to get in the way. Some movie star who has fame, they get saved. You're almost like, yay, we're going to get a good one. No, no, no. They end up using their fame and whatever else, and it's a stumbling block from them getting close to Christ. Someone who gets rich, oh, look at them. They got the finances. Oh, it's going to be good. No, their finances usually get in the way of them knowing Christ. Oh, look at so-and-so. They're so charismatic. People just are attracted to them. No, it's probably going to get in the way of them knowing who Christ is. All of our great attributes that we like about ourselves, that we studied in ourselves, that we worked on, so oftentimes get in the way because we trust and put our confidence in those things rather than trusting and depending upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things loss, or but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do, do count them but dung, why? That I may win Christ. He says, let me tell you. All those things that I bragged about were in the way. But now, in order for me to get to know Christ, I had to get over those things. I had to count them as dung, as waste, so that I may win Christ. I moved them away. Someone who says, listen how smart I am. He says, you're going to have to die to that. You're going to have to get rid of that if you're going to follow after Christ, if you're going to obtain Christ, if you're going to win Christ. Count those things as loss. And again, we have a hard time. By the way, this is this process of dying to self. We are so self-dependent. Believe it or not, no matter how worthless you may think you are, you usually depend upon your own self in so many different ways. You know, beauty will fade. Intellect will dim. So many of those things that we trust and depend upon will come crashing down so we don't depend upon them. That's part of following after Christ. Those things are suffered loss of all things. 
so we could have Christ. God sometimes will have to work on us to get those out of the way. You think you're smart? God will show you how dumb you really are and how much you don't know. Those people who think they have physical strength, God will take that away just to show you can't trust in that. Those that have finances are putting too much trust in their finances. He has a good habit of blowing it away so that way you can't depend upon that. Anything that you have, he'll take it away. What are you trusting in? You see, it's either we're trusting in God or we're trusting in something else. Verse number nine. And to be found in him, Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that that is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul says, I'm not depending even on my own righteousness. I'm trusting in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. I'm trusting in everything of him, nothing of me. It's all about him. Verse number 10, that I may know him. That I may know him. Notice this is the goal. Now notice that word know. The word know means to know by experience. To know by experience. You understand this idea of knowledge of Christ is not book knowledge. It is by experience. Now the problem with us New Testament saints is that we are satisfied with our book knowledge of Christ. We know facts and figures about Christ. We could give historical things. Let me tell you about the Old Testament saints. They didn't have all the information about Christ that we had, but they knew him personally. Here's Adam who walked with God in the cool of the day. Here's Enoch who walked with God. Here is Moses that God spoke to face to face as a man. Here is Abraham who was called the friend of God. Those were all based off of knowledge personal experience of God. So often we're just satisfied with showing up to church, listening to a message. I know Christ. I know some things. I learned something about Christ today and we rattle up a statistic. We give a a cute little fact. And God is not satisfied with our book knowledge of Christ. He wants us to know him by experience. To know him Personally, to put him to the test. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. To know by experience. This is the knowledge that Paul is coming. He's not saying, I want you to read more books. I want you to spend more time. To know by experience. That I may know him. Notice this. And the power of his resurrection. What is this? The power to change lives. That God is able to take those things that are dead and turn them to life. He is able to take darkness and turn it into light. That's the power of the resurrection. That Jesus didn't stay buried. He rose again the third day. And he is alive forevermore. And he has the ability to change lives. That's the power that we're trusting in. Not in my words. Not in my way to convince people. Not my way to influence people. It's in Christ and his power to change lives. That's what we're trusting in. Christ is able to change lives. He happens to use me as an instrument. That's great. But it is Christ that we're trusting in. Notice this. And that I may know him. And that I may know the power of his resurrection. And that I may know the fellowship of his suffering. You know, the more that we know of Christ, we'll learn more about him when we suffer with him. Part of the problem that we have in American Christianity, and part of the reason why we don't know more about Christ, is we're not willing to suffer. We like comfortable lives. We like lives of convenience. And we wonder why we don't have a strong faith, because we have a life of comfort. And we're not willing to suffer. We're not willing to put ourselves out there. We're not willing for someone to say, no, no, I don't believe that. We feel like they're going to reject us. We're not willing to suffer for anything. And therefore, we don't know Christ personally because we're not willing to suffer with him. When Christ came, he suffered and he died on the cross. Paul says, in order to know him, I must be willing to suffer. You know, this lack of 
of this lack of willingness to suffer keeps us from knowing Christ personally. It keeps us distant. It keeps us away. And so our choice is to be comfortable or to know Him. You cannot have both. There is no easy way to serve God. And we have to be willing to say, God, I'm willing to go through whatever. I'm willing to do whatever. I'm willing to endure whatever. Because you are my goal. You are what I'm after. That I may know him. Again, in verse number 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. As we know more about Christ, we'll become conformable unto his death. Remember, we talked about the mind of Christ in the previous chapter. That he made himself in the form of servant. That he made himself of no reputation. That he was obedient unto the death of the cross. By the way, why did Jesus die? To save lost sinners. And if we get to know Christ and develop his heart, we'll have the same heart that he had. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. To know him, he makes us into fishers of men. He says, I want to know you and be conformable unto his death. To be conformed to the reason why he died. That I may know him. To fulfill the purpose that he has given to me. To see the lost come to know Christ. To gain that heart for the lost. The entire goal of Paul's life was now to know Christ more and more and more. And to set aside any of those things, any of those excuses, any of those things that would keep him from knowing more about Christ. Notice in verse number 11, now it starts getting really good. If any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, as Paul desired to know Christ, he was also looking forward to what he calls here the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul understood he was going to be part of the general resurrection of the dead. What does that mean? That means that there's going to be a time on our calendar that the next event is going to be called the rapture. And at the rapture, God is going to call away all those who believed in him and call them unto himself, give him a brand new body. Paul knew he was going to be a part of that general resurrection. But notice the word that he says here. He says that I may might obtain unto the resurrection. The word obtain here carries the idea of arriving. And it, it's to be put as a privileged group of the resurrection. I'm trying to obtain. I'm trying to be a part of a privileged group of the resurrection of the dead. What is this? Well, this is the position, the part in the millennial kingdom. That the next thing on God's calendar is the rapture. At the rapture, we get our brand new bodies. After that, there's going to be seven years of tribulation where God is not dealing with the church, but he's dealing with the Hebrew people to bring them to himself. After that, that there's a, ten, a, a thousand year reign of Christ where Christ is fulfilling his promises to the, to the Hebrew people, but he is going to use the saints during this church age to rule and reign with him. And Paul is saying, I'm trying to obtain, I'm trying to get this special part of this resurrection of the dead. I am looking for that, to be a part of it, to be understanding that my faithfulness to God now is going to determine what I do for him a thousand years. Maybe you can think of it this way, the life that we live here is a lifelong job application for what God is going to have for us in the millennial kingdom. That I may obtain, that I may be a part of this special privileged group of this resurrection of the dead. Notice he goes on with this same thought. Not as though I had already obtained. Look at this! Paul says, I haven't accomplished that goal yet. This is the apostle Paul. This is Paul who was used for so much. He's not saying I'm not satisfied with what rewards I may have already. My goal is to have more because of him. I haven't obtained it all. Now think about Paul. The zenith, the height of his ministry. Starting churches after churches. Thousands of people use, uh, uh, come to know Christ. 14 books of the Bible pen, And he says, not done. I haven't got to that place yet. Then look at us that think that we've done God a big favor just because we show up to church. Paul says, I haven't obtained yet. I haven't got there yet. I'm not finished yet. I'm not satisfied. There's more as I chase after Christ. I'm following after him. 
that I may know him. And yet, I showed up to church. I read my one Bible chapter today. Ain't I great? And we wonder why we're so far from this knowledge of Christ. Because Christ is not our goal. That's not as though I have obtained already. Either we're already perfect. He says, I'm not, this word perfect carries the idea complete or whole, spiritually mature. I'm not at the place where I've arrived. I am not where I ought to be yet. I'm not satisfied with who I am as a Christian. It is amazing to watch Christians get satisfied. I'm mature enough. I'm good. And they miss out on everything that God gets to them. Usually, non-discerning people or maybe people who haven't been taught about the millennial kingdom get to the place where they're like well you know I'm going to be there that's good enough and they're missing out on so much more that God has for them because we stopped chasing after God we find the place of least resistance the place of comfort and we park there and then we try to justify in our minds that we're good I'm, I'm, I'm good where I am. I'm satisfied with what little bit I've done for Christ. And Paul says, I am not. My goal is to know him more. And to know him more is to follow after him, pursue him, to labor after him, to go after him. By the way, when, Paul, when Moses said that in Exodus 33, it also carried the idea that he was not done. He wanted to follow after Christ in works as well, following after service of him. This works together. That as I'm following after him, I'm following and being obedient to what he's given me to do. I'm after him and I'm not satisfied with my little pathetic service. More. Because I'm following after him. I'm running to obtain him. I'm trying to get to this. Paul is saying we should not be satisfied with our little service. He says, I'm not. I'm still going after. Verse 12. Not as though I'd already obtained, neither already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend or obtain, grab that for which I am also apprehended of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I'm not done yet because I haven't grabbed all of Christ. And so until I get all of Christ, I'm not done yet. I'm still following after. I'm still chasing after. I'm still pursuing after. By the way, that is the whole definition of the biblical idea of the Christian life is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. That Christ is my goal. Everything in my life is to have Him, to know Him, to follow after Him, to know Him and everything about Him. Following after Him. Following after Him. Knowing Him. He says, I'm not done because I don't have Christ incomplete yet. Oh, isn't it horrible when we give up the chase? When we stop before we get it all. We stop, we slow down, we walk slow, and then we just stop. And say, this is a good place to park and camp. Paul says, I can't. I got to keep going. I'm keep going. Keep going! Because I want more of Him. I want more of Him. I can't stop. The never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He says, let me tell you, I'm not done yet. I haven't done everything he's done. Brethren, I count my, not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things or which before. He says, you know what? I'm not looking about behind. I'm not resting on what happened in the past. He says, I'm reaching forward. I'm trying to go more. I'm trying to get after him. I'm following after. I'm still reaching and grabbing. I want more of him. Is that what can be described of your life that you're always reaching forward to grab him? You're trying, you're going, I want more. I'm trying to grab more of him. Is that the description of your life? That was Paul's life. That I may know him. I'm chasing after him. I'm trying to grab him. I want more of him. I'm not satisfied. I'm reaching forward to those things which are before. I'm not worried about what happened in the past. If anybody could have stopped and said, you know, I've done enough, that would have been Paul. He says, nope, I want more. One thing I do than to say these 40 things I dabble with. So many times we're distracted from the main thing. What is the main thing? The never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. We allow things to get in the way of us getting after him. That should be the main goal that I may know him.
Verse 14. So because of this, I press towards the mark of the prize. What is the prize? The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm pressed forward in the mark. That's the prize. That's what I'm after. I win when I get Jesus. Oh, if that would be our goal, that we win when we get Jesus. Usually we say we win when we reach this plateau. We win when we get this thing satisfied. We win when we reach this level. Paul says, no, all those things are small, pitiful things. I win when I get Christ. The never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. That I may know Him. He starts off by explaining. He says, I worship God in the Spirit. Then he goes on and explains that God is my goal. As he continues with this and he begins to wind down this passage. He says, I find those who follow Christ. I find those who follow Christ. Verse number 15. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect. This carries the idea of being mature. Whole. If you consider yourself mature in Christ, meaning that you have some spiritual age to you, you're no longer a baby Christian, but you want to be more perfect. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Remember, we're talking about the mind of Christ in chapter 2. And then we talk about Paul's mind here. It's to chase after Christ. That we want to be thus minded. And if, if anything ye be otherwise minded, that God reveal even this to you. He says, listen, this should be your goal. And if it is not your goal, you be honest and say, God, show me what my goal is. And if it's something other than you, let me switch to you being the goal. Well, that's some honesty there. You know, some people don't want to do that because they don't want to really have it revealed what their goal of their life is. My goal in my life is my hobby, myself, my family, my job, my whatever else. We find that we have so many other goals rather than God being our goal. Paul says, if you think that you're spiritually mature, you're no longer a baby Christian. He says, you should be honest enough to allow God to reveal what is your goal. And if it's not Christ to fix it so that Christ would be your goal. Every mature Christian should have Jesus Christ as their goal. Not dealing with the idea that this is only for pastors. Pastors, we understand they're supposed to seek after God. The rest of us kind of, you know, enjoy services. Every believer who is not a baby Christian should already have this in their mind. That Christ should be their goal. Christ should be their goal. Verse 16. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already obtained. So don't worry about the things you've already done. Let us walk by the same rule and let us mind the same thing. Once again, that word mind is used over and over in chapter 2. And then once again in verse 3, we see this mind. It's in the mind that it begins. You choose in your mind to follow after Christ. You don't follow after Christ by accident. It is a decision you make to pursue after him, to go after him. Verse number 17. Brethren, let us be followers together of me and mark them which walk so you have us for an example. He says, you find those that have God as their goal and you give them as an example. You follow after them as they follow after Christ. Let them be an example. If there's a believer who, who's really matured in their prayer life, learn from them. You find someone who's really dug in their Bible and has learned how to, to, to read the Bible looking after Christ, learn from them. You find someone who's learned something about following after Christ, find those people to learn from. So many times we find people who don't have any clue about this and we try to follow after them. And they're not following after Christ at all. Find those that have Christ as their goal. And follow after them as an example to follow after. Now notice that word, example. It's different than an example. An example is a small pattern to follow. So they'll give me an example of a math problem. And then I do the math problem. An example is a pattern to follow for the rest of your life. Not just a small sample, but as a pattern to follow for life. Paul says, if I'm following after Christ, follow after me as I follow after Christ. Learn from those people who have learned to follow after Christ. Now, remember earlier he said, watch out for those deceivers. We're trying to find those who are following after God and follow them. Learn from them. Find things. We understand nobody's life is perfect, but you can learn from others in their lives. Follow those things that they've matured in and follow after them. Verse number 18. 
Now notice there's a parenthesis here. He says, for many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You know, one of the things that will show up after time is it will prove that they weren't following after Christ. I didn't say that they weren't saved. It's that Christ wasn't their goal. You know that some people can not have Christ as their goal. They look good. They sound good. But if they're not following after God, you'll see them fall away. And how many people they lead with them. Make sure that you have someone who's following after Christ. With broken hearted, he's trying to say, you mark those. But be careful because those with broken hearted, they become the enemies of God. You say, how do they become the enemies of God? They said they followed after him. The Bible says in James 4.4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore shall be the uh, friend of the world is the enemy of God. Let me prove that to you in verse 19. Again, part of that parenthesis. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. You could be saved and not make God your goal. You have to purposely make God your goal. But someone else who makes their belly, dealing the idea of their satisfaction, their happiness in the present tense, if they make that their goal, they're not going to follow after Christ long. They're going to be shipwrecked. They're going to be veered away. Someone else who has their mind, their goal on earthly things, their hobby, their job, their family, their kids, their activism, their social uh, issues, their whatever else, if they follow after those things, they will also veer in the way and they'll get in the way of what God is trying to get accomplished. You know, what, in the Christian life, the good is often the enemy of the best. For Christians, the fight that most Christians have is not between the good and the bad. Most of you are not deciding, do I go to the bar next door when service is over? Your choice is not between the good and the bad. The choice that we have is between the good and the best. And there are many people who are following after good things to the neglect of the best things. And the best is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. And those who follow after good things eventually are going to get in the way of what God is trying to get done. That we have to choose on purpose, do we follow the good things or do we follow the best Oh, one more thing here. And we could see the Apostle Paul as he says, I'm looking for Christ. Christ is my goal that I may know him. He says this, I look for the Savior. I look for the Savior. Verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, remember the word conversation carries the idea of our behavior. He says, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior. You understand, this is an eternal matter. What you do on your life is an eternal matter and will affect all of eternity. And if we are truly following after Christ, this is an eternal thing. This affects all of eternity. Verse 21, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like his, unto his glorious body, unto the working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. You understand that even our brand new redeemed body is going to be fashioned from Christ. And that we can't even trust our own flesh because it's not even going to survive to the millennial kingdom. As good looking as you may think you are, you're going to get a brand new body. As smart as you may think you are, you're getting a brand new brain. All of it's not going to last. Our goal's eternal things. Our goal's the things to go. You understand you can't even bring your money with you. There was an old joke that said a guy came to the gates of heaven and said, Hey, can I, uh, I want to bring these suitcases with me. What do you have in the suitcases? I, uh, I have all the gold that I made in all my life. Well, that's a strange request. Let me, let me run it at the chain, but usually we don't allow luggage or anything. 
And so they went and ran it up the chain. Again, it's a joke. And they came back and said, sure, you could bring it in, but we don't understand why you need to bring pavement in. You don't have to bring pavement in. Remember, in heaven, the streets are paved with gold. It's not needed. It's all wasted. We don't have anything we could take in this world. Nothing. Not your body. Not your brain. Not your gold. Your finances. Your health. House. All of that is going to be different. So why not, instead of focusing on the temporal things... Focus on God who's in heaven. Make him our goal. Because he's the one that's going to make all things new. Make him your goal. Looking to the Savior that I may know him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.